Well, welcome to our teaching time this morning. It's good to see each one of you here. As Pastor Brad said, my name is Wally. I have the privilege of being on the uh, pastoral leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And it's good to be together to worship this morning and to hear from God's Word this morning. Our current teaching series, as you just saw in the video, is from the book of Ephesians, entitled Made New. And today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, the latter half of that. So I encourage you to take out your Bibles. Uh, one of the things that we have probably grown accustomed to is not even bringing our Bibles to church anymore because it's always up on the screen. Uh, with our new system in our live streaming, we have less and less uh, real estate on that screen to project. So not everything that we read in the scriptures is going to be projected up there. So we want you to get back in the habit of bringing your Bibles or having it on your device. So I encourage you either open it up on your device or for next Sunday, make a note. Personally, I like bringing my Bible so that I can write in it. I can underline. I can do those types of things um, that help me when I go back into that passage. So if, and if you need a Bible, we have Bibles at the Welcome Center. Uh, Rachel is back there today, and uh, you are free to pick up a free copy of uh, a Bible there as well. Friends, I want to start by having you draw up in your memory a significant event. Something that has shaped you in your life. It could be something personal. It could be something societal, like a, a major newsworthy uh, item. Uh, it could be... For example, uh, the birth of a child, or it could be a significant death in your, in your household, a world event, whatever that might be. As you're thinking that, and as stuff is popping into your brains, you don't have to be uh, a rocket scientist or a historian. Not often those two get mixed together, eh? David, where are you? There you are, rocket science and historian. David is a history teacher. Not, you don't have to be either one of those to know that those kind of moments shape our beings. They embed themselves within us. When we remember the unfolding of those events, we can usually recall where we were. Now, if you're having a baby, that's probably a little bit easier to recall where you were. But we can recall, where were we when that event took place? Who was I with? And if you think hard, you can probably even see their faces, and you can probably even see expression on their faces. We can remember what we were smelling and what we might be tasting in those moments. And even today, subconsciously, our bodies can be experiencing the emotions that we felt at those times. That's how embedded things can become in our being. Let me share a few of mine. I'll start on a lighter note. Many of you know that I'm an avid Vancouver Canucks fan, and this would have been a great excuse for me to wear my jersey. I know I've done it before, but it's just preseason. It's just starting today. It's just preseason. So I thought, no, I better not. But I am old enough to remember all three runs to the Stanley Cup Finals. And some of you are like, what? They've been there three times? Yes, in 1982. Amazing they got there for the first time. 1994, all the way to Game 7. Oh my goodness, crushing. 2011, I'm going to harp on 2011 because it's most recent, and it had my two favorite teams in there. But if you're a fan from the 70s, you had to pick another team to survive as an NHL Canuck fan because they were so bad. And so I, I figured I'm going to pick a team as far away as I can on the East Coast, the Boston Bruins. They had people like Bobby Orr. They had Ray Bork, who was my hero growing up. And I could cheer for them, and I knew 
that the odds of them winning something were much, much greater than the Canucks. And the odds of those two ever meeting were next to zero. And in 2011, it happened, and I thought, this is going to be so amazing. I can't lose. But then, game seven, lifelong Canucks fan. We had an elders, uh, well, we called them leadership team at the church I was at at the time. We had a leadership team meeting that night. We postponed it, and we got together, and we watched together. I don't remember a single thing that was on the agenda that night. But I remember going late into the evening and, and it being the most dour, depressing meeting I was ever a part of in the church. I can remember every goal, though, of that game. I can remember the anticipation of that game. I can remember the utter, utter disappointment and the shock of the riots afterwards. Ten years ago. Well, what about when it comes to historical events? Some of you, many of us are old enough to remember, and, and I had to do a double check as I talked to some younger people that, that they aren't old enough to remember this, but most of us are old enough to remember September 9th, 2011. Or sorry, 2001. Whew. 2001. I remember that I was driving to work in the morning, and I was coming down 208th Street heading south, and I was just rounding that, that bend that's north of Costco there, on 208, and I turned on the radio and hearing for the first time that the planes had hit. And, and what was unfolding? I'm, I'm thinking in my, I didn't even have visuals for that in my mind, driving and listening to it on the radio. Got to work and, and our co-workers and clients turned on the TV and we just watched with utter shock and disbelief. Like it was just confusion and I can still see their faces and I can still feel that palpable sense of we need to get home. My body can still feel that. We need to get home and make sure our loved ones are okay. Like, this is happening in the States, New York, what other city? Could it be Seattle? Stuff was getting shut down all over North America. Planes everywhere. Well, Vancouver would be prime. We need to get home. Significant, defining moments in history embedded within us. Let me leave you with, with one more. We'll go back a little bit further in time. Who can recall what happened on November 9th, 1989? Significant international event. Anybody? Can you remember? Just shout it out if you know. No, it wasn't the stock market. I think I heard it. The Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall came tearing, being torn down. Those images. Can you, can you remember the images? Can you remember the, the international sense of hope? That was palpable even on this side of the world as we saw people groups reunited. We saw families being reunited. We saw a nation being reunited as that world came, as that wall came tumbling down. Our memories, our lives are marked by these significant events. And I'd like to tell you that if we lived in the first century AD, there would be another incredible, most significant event that we would be keenly attuned to. Two, another wall, another barrier that was torn down. In fact, as we're going to see in Ephesians 2, and we're going to get there in a second, it was the most significant wall in human history to be torn down. It was a wall of religious, ideological, uh, political, racial barrier. If we were living in the first century as either Jews or Gentiles, which are people who are not born as part of the nation of Israel, 
Neither side would have ever in their lifetime thought this wall would come down. That's how significant the wall was. That's how high the wall was. That's how strong the wall was. And yet, by God's grace, that most significant wall was removed. Think about the magnitude of a wall that says there is one people, Israel, and then there's everybody else in the world. That's an incredible wall. And the book of Ephesians remind us, reminds us that that wall separated us, humanity, from God. A wall, a barrier between us called sin. In fact, it says that we were once dead in our sins. That's how great the barrier was. It cu- actually cut off hope and life for those outside of the wall. But in Ephesians, we're going to read that God removed that barrier, that God made us new and alive through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And the good news in this is that we don't have to live without that hope. All these decades and generations later, we don't have to live without that hope and without that life. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is what brought that peace between God and humanity breaking down the barrier. The sacrifice of Jesus is also what brought down the wall between people between humanity at the time, which is incredibly significant because it built, because by doing that, Jesus began to build one people, one church, one body that could come together before the Father and worship in his name. It's an incredibly profound doctrine that we call reconciliation, which is a word in the coming week that will be talked about a lot. And the basis for it is in our text this morning in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. So I invite you to look at your Bibles. Key verses will come up. Let's read together out of Ephesians. Don't forget. Don't forget. Even those of us all these generations later. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, but now, Something to underline if you have your Bible with you. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. But now. But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating for himself, in himself, one new people from two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. Second time we hear that word hostility. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, so now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together. We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. 
We together are carefully joined in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So what's the big deal? It seems so long ago. For us today, it's theology, right? I mean, we read these words, and this is the kind of thing that gets theologians, scholars, pastors, preachers amped up. But for the rest of us, like, what's the big deal? This is like a long time ago. This is in a part of the world that isn't our part of the world. This is a Jewish nation, which I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us here this morning, are not part of by lineage. What's the big deal? Friends, if you were a Gentile, You were more than other. If you were a Gentile in the first century, you would have been looked down upon as the scum of the earth. You would have been looked down upon lower than people on the east side of Vancouver. You would have been looked down upon on the lowest people that you can conjure up in your mind on this earth. That's where you would have been. Scum of the earth. You were subhuman. You were often referred to as dogs. And I don't mean dogs like my puppy, Ash. Sorry, it's not mine. It's my daughter's. Savannah's dog, Ash, who gets the incredible greeting when we come in and she sits on our lap and we feed her and we take better care of her than we do of our own children. Like, not that kind of dog. We're talking ultimate disregard, prejudice, hatred. One historian at the time noted that if you were a Gentile, you were fuel for the fires of hell. Most of us can hardly imagine the division, the barrier between a Jew who was circumcised and a Gentile who was not. The Jews were considered God's people, and anyone else was heathen, it says in verse 11. The Jews had established rules to protect themselves from anything that might stain them or make them unacceptable by association in God's eyes. If you were a Jew and one of your children, if your Jewish father and one of your children married a Jew, you threw a party for a week. If you were a Jewish father and one of your children married a Gentile, you held a funeral. Literally. They had a clear wall of what was acceptable and unacceptable between themselves and anything or anyone non-Jewish. In fact, they had a double wall. There was a double wall. A wall between Jew and Gentile and a wall between God and Gentile. And all of, us, all of this sets us up for this incredible passage that we just read in Ephesians 2. This most significant, I want to say it's the most significant event in history in terms of barriers and dividing walls. And Paul, the writer, starts with a reminder, don't forget. Yeah, you're in 2021. Don't forget. You can trace your lineage. Well, maybe you can't, but you can determine that somewhere along the way you came from somebody in the first century. Don't forget what it was like when the wall was up. Don't forget what it was like between you and God's people. Don't forget even what it was like when you didn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He talks about that in verse 12. When you didn't know Jesus, you were excluded. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Friends, that's why it's such a big deal even for us today. Most, if not all of us in this room, can identify, if not with our Gentile lineage, then we can identify with no hope. 
Think of your life before you met Jesus. No hope. No forgiveness. No grace. No future beyond what you could conjure up for yourself in this world. No eternal future. Think of your life before that moment. Okay, we'll, we'll use this. That most momentous but in your life. Think of what it was like before then. And then verse 13, but now. Remember your life before Jesus? But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. The wall between God and people was removed by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus' body broken. His blood shed for us on the cross so that the Old Testament law could be fulfilled. So that the required sacrifice was made so that forgiveness could flow freely to humanity, both Jew and Gentile. Reading in verse 14 in your Bibles, for Christ himself has brought us peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the Old Testament system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by, by creating in himself one new people from two groups. And together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. As Pastor and author Bruxy Cavey points out, look at the order of reconciliation in verses 15 and 16. Underline that in your Bibles. First, there's the bringing down of the wall between Jew and Gentile, between people groups. Jesus Christ first reconciles people with people, and then as one body, he reconciles us together with God. Think about that. Let that sink in. In John 10, verse 15 and 16, Jesus said, So I sacrifice my life for my sheep. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to have my body broken. I'm going to have my blood shed. I have other sheep too. And this is why. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold, in the Jewish sheepfold. And I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And now Paul's reminding the Jews and the Gentiles of this incredible truth, this incredible moment in history that was fulfilled on the cross as Jesus gave up his life once and for all and fulfilled that Old Testament sacrifice. This wasn't just the death of another good man or another prophet. It was the historical line of demarcation. B.C. and A.D., it was a historical line of demarcation when the greatest wall in the history of humanity came tumbling down. In Matthew 27, 51, we're told that the veil of, of separation in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom. In other words, it was God saying, come in and meet with me in person. All of you together. Not Jews come first. And then go back outside and get the Gentiles and bring them along. He says, my son Jesus paid the sacrifice on the cross for all of you. 
And all of you come in freely, enter into my presence directly. Jews and other come together. You see, in the ancient world, the Jewish people were used to worshiping God in the temple in Jerusalem. And one of the features of that temple was a wall, a physical barrier that was called the court of the Jews. And then the court of the Gentiles was on the other side of that wall. But Paul's, and, and this barrier was a clear signal. As a non-Jew, you did not hop the wall. You did not try to make your way over. That was strictly governed. You were not part of that club. But Paul says something so radical here that picks up on something that happened when Christ died. Two things happened. The veil, the curtain in the temple, which was part of the Holy of Holies that separated even the average Jewish person from the presence of God, that veil was ripped from top to bottom and the barrier between God and people was broken and removed. God was not going to relate to people by rule-keeping or the sacrificial system anymore. You no longer needed a Levite priest to go in once a year on your behalf into the Holy of Holies. By laying down his life as the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus overturned that whole system. And the same thing is true of the barrier or the dividing wall between Jewish people and non-Jewish others. That wall, that barrier separating the insiders from the outsiders was destroyed. Completely gone. Jesus reconciles us with each other into one body, friends. And then together as one body, he reconciles us. He presents us acceptable to God the Father. It's radical because really we tend to think about it and we tend to act like it happens in the other order. We tend to think that I come and get reconciled with God. First of all, very individualistic, which is not scriptural based at all. But I come and get reconciled with God. And then when that good thing happens, then I go out and I go and I get other people. And I try to get reconciled with those other people. And great if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, then I just kind of leave them and I go to a different place. And worship there maybe. Or I find other people who are just kind of more like me. I don't really need to be reconciled with them. They're, they just think and act like me. So it's great. Why go to all that trouble? Paul says, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups, verse 16, to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. We often think it's the other order. We often think that Jesus reconciles us to God and then we go about the business of reconciling to others and get closer to each other. But Paul is saying that the primary impact of Christ's work of reconciliation is that we're brought into new relationship with each other, with others, and that makes us acceptable to God. Church, because of what Christ did on the cross, there's no room for in or out. There's no room for me and you or us and them or those people. Paul's saying, stop it. He was saying to the Ephesians, stop it. Let it go. I mean, this was raw for them because it had just happened. There's no Jew or Gentile. He's saying to us in 2021, stop it. 
Let it go. Let go of all your separation. Don't discriminate who may come and who has to stay outside the walls. And you may be thinking, okay, I get it. To a point, you're right. I'll give you some, some leeway here. But if we keep going, it's a slippery slope. Faster. Come on. Like, how far down the slope? How liberal are you going to get? Friends, I'm going to get as liberal as Jesus and the scriptures. Stop it. No separation between you and anyone else who comes and says, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. There is no more room for it. There's no place for walls in and out toward anyone who comes in the name of Jesus. So let's take all our prejudice. Let's take all our boxes. Start bringing them to the forefront of your mind because we all have them, including me. Start bringing them to the forefront of your mind. All your doctrinal distancing. Anything that pushes someone away and lay it at the foot of the cross. That's where it belongs. That's where Jesus wants it planted. Because scriptures declare that we are one in Christ Jesus. And as one, Jesus presents us to the Father. Oh, but what about so-and-so? Like, you don't know her. Like, do you know what her life is like? Like, she comes on Sundays and worships. But do you know... Like, if she lives that lifestyle, there's no way she could really be a Christian. Like, come on. Impossible. Paul says, stop it. Stop it. It is not ours to judge that. In fact, Jesus himself said, I do not come to judge the world. He says, I come to bring peace to the world. I come to live or give up my life for the world so that I can present an acceptable people to the Father. And Paul says in verse 11, don't forget this. We've moved away from an old system, from the way we were, separated, alienated, divisive, hostile. And we are now living the way we are created to be together in Jesus. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Christ paid the price for the penalty of all our sins so that we are made right. We are made righteous so that we're reconciled with each other and before God. This is why this event, this moment that Paul is capturing in Ephesians 2 is the most significant event. It's why it's causing some of you to bristle. It's why it's causing others of you to soak in the grace and the love of Jesus. When you remember that moment you first encountered the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. When you knew that your sins had been forgiven. When you knew that the separation that you knew deep within had been removed between you and the Father. And you received peace that comes only in and through Jesus Christ. Friends, peace comes only from Jesus because of what he did on the cross for humanity. In reconciling us to each other and to God. Verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of 
of God's family. Do you hear the old walls, the first century walls crumbling? Do you, can you picture them crashing down in society? Can you see the dust that comes as those walls crumble? Because there's a new reality brought about by the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Those walls that I asked you to bring to the forefront of your mind, they need to dissolve because of the new reality brought about by the Prince of Peace. You need to be able to experience seeing the dust, smelling it, knowing that it's happening. Because this is the new reality, verse 19. So now you Gentiles, so now all those others are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. If you proclaim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And the beautiful news is that the living God continues to build a living temple. And you, my friend, are a stone. I am a stone, a building block in that project. Us, sinners who keep on sinning. Well, maybe not you, but me, sinners who keep on sinning, saved by Jesus. All of us sinners saved by Jesus are stones in God's project. And so we together are being fashioned by the Spirit into the dwelling where God lives. And how dare any one of us try to change that blueprint? How dare any one of us try to pencil in something different? Because in our own brokenness, in our own inadequacy, we can't see a way that some other person or one of those people could possibly be part of God's family, be part of the building project where God himself wants to dwell. Friends, that this is not my church or your church to do anything with the blueprints. It's God's. Verse 19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. It's one of the most powerful and wonderful things that we can imagine. And there's no other entity on the earth like the church. There's no other entity that is continuously being built. God is active and working in his reconciled people throughout the world. God is active right here within us as Jericho Ridge, building us together into a community of people with Jesus as the cornerstone. And he'll keep adding stones. He'll keep adding people to our community. He's not done with Jericho Ridge yet. We've got empty seats. We've got more chairs stored away. We can go to multiple services. God's not done with us yet. And our primary role 
as God's church, Jericho Ridge, is to be reconciled, to be at peace, verse 17, to be carefully joined together in Christ, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. That's our primary work. We could talk about the gifts and the abilities that each one of us can bring to the church, and friends, we need them. We need servants to carry out the mission of Jericho, from greeting people in the mornings, to setting up chairs, to worship teams, to being an elder. We need all of us pulling together on that same rope, serving however God calls us to, with our gifts, our abilities, our time, our finances. But that's not our primary work. In fact, we can't even do any of those other things we aim to do with any effectiveness if we're not always working at being carefully joined together in Christ, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Because it's God who will build his church. It's God who will indwell the new temple, which is us, and draw people to himself. And how will he do that? Will he do it through Steve's uh, incredible ability at setting up, like, perfect rows of chairs? Thank you, Steve, this morning for doing that. Will he do it through Jesse's and the team's ability at leading us in, in worship singing and doing it so well? Will he do it through, through Miriam's effectiveness in leading our elder board? John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Romans 13, 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Galatians 5.13, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Did you catch that last verse? 1 Thessalonians 3.12. He's saying, as a result of your love one for the other, as, your, as a result of your love for all people, may Jesus make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before the Lord. That's what we will be judged on. Not how effectively I used my gifts. Not how much money I tithed. But how well I loved. It's not our programming or our beautiful facility, or how many hours I volunteer, or how much I contribute. It doesn't matter how great a leader I am, or how great a leader you are. Yes, those are important aspects to our community, but it's not our ultimate measuring stick of this community. Ephesians 2, Paul is imploring us to embrace the truth that together we are the new temple of God. Jesus is the cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets are the, are the foundation. And we together are the building. We together are being formed into the house. And our primary role is to be cemented together. To hold on to the one who has been placed beside you. Love one another as Jesus has loved us so that through our love for each other, God can continue to draw other people. You need to have in your mind not a, a house as we often build here uh, of, of studs and, and wood. You need to have a, a house in your mind that's put together with cinder blocks, which takes place in many other parts of the world. 
You are one of those cinder blocks. And all around you is a cement, a mortar. And it glues you to the one underneath and it keeps you stable. And it glues you to the one above and to the ones beside. And it's love that is that glue. And your primary role is to keep that love in place so that the walls don't crack and crumble. Love one another. Friends, every church can uniquely state their vision and their mission, and they all do on their websites. We do it as it pertains to our local faith community. But Paul is reminding us our ultimate mission, verse 21, carefully join together in Jesus, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And in doing so, God will continue to add people, verse 23, making them a part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So what's the big deal? That in Jesus, there is no room for a dividing line between me and the next cinder block beside me, between the next stone, between the next person. There's no us and those people. There's no Jew and Gentile. There's no elite and scum. There's no marginalized people. And my goodness, we are good at marginalizing people even today. This week will mark one of those marginalizations in our society right here in our nation, this free and amazing nation that welcomes everybody but did not do well by those people. And that took place in my generation. Many of our generations. And it's still taking place. We're still marginalizing people. Bring to the forefront those people groups, LGBTQ2+. Some of the most marginalized people by the church in our current society. And Paul's saying, that's the big deal. There is no Jew or them. There is no us and those people anymore. No lesser sinners or greater sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. No one person's sin is greater or lesser when it's brought to the foot of Jesus' cross where he paid the ultimate sacrifice. So reconcile that in your mind. Reconcile that in your theology, in your ideology, and start to reconcile it in your lifestyle. Reconcile those who come to you in the name of the Lord, but may look so different, may act so weird or other, may talk different than you do. Live in peace with the stone that's placed next to you as together you're placed in the cornerstone of Jesus Christ as God keeps building and dwelling his temple. You can do that today by initiating a conversation with someone that you might categorize or someone that you know has been categorized as other, as one of those people. You can start by opening up your home or sitting around a table together with someone right here in the midst of Jericho that you just don't really know. You've never taken time to get to know them. They're not part of your inner circle. You can start today by reorienting, reorienting your posts on Facebook or just stop posting, period, if you can't do this. And go from posts that are exclusive and divisive and start posting what is inclusive. Scriptures say, let your minds dwell on those things that are holy and loving and right and worthy of being in your mind. It's a bad paraphrase of that verse. Friends, you can start today by lowering your metaphorical masks for the sake of the other or raising your metaphorical mask for the sake of the other. You can start by revealing your own brokenness. 
and your need for another person to enter into that space. You can start with acts of love and encouragement. You can purpose your mouth and your fingers to speak love. At Jericho Ridge, our mission, our core purpose is to be disciples of Jesus who embody God's love everywhere we go. You can see that on our website, on a lot of our printed materials. And friends, that starts actually before we go anywhere. It starts before we go anywhere. We embody God's love right here to every person that God brings as he builds his church. We embody God's love to every, quote, other so that we are reconciled to them and at peace with each other, so that we can be the holy temple where God dwells, so that God can continue to find reason and be pleased to bring others into our midst, so that we can be reconciled and learn to become at peace with them, so that we can be presentable and proper in terms of God's building block and the place, the holy temple where he dwells, so that he will continue to bring others into our midst, so that we will be reconciled and at peace with them. And you get the idea. As I said in the words of Paul, don't forget, this is one of the most powerful, beautiful things we can imagine. This moment in history when Jesus removed the barrier walls between us in order to build his people, the church. And there's no other entity like us. No other entity on, on this earth like his church. God is active. He is at work reconciling his people. He's active right here within us in Jericho Ridge, building us together in a, into a community of people with Jesus as our cornerstone. And friends, he's going to keep adding stones. He's going to keep adding stones, building blocks. He's not done doing that here in our midst within us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that as the worship team comes up and we want to respond to you, we acknowledge first and foremost that you paid the ultimate sacrifice. That you, Lord Jesus, laid down your body for the other. That you allowed your blood to be shed for the other. For us, sinners, and that by your grace we are reconciled. And that as a result where there is no longer Jew or Gentile, us and them, them and us, we are being fashioned together as one body, one people, one church. And Lord Jesus, at Jericho Ridge, we want to live into that. We want to embody that. We want to embrace all those that you will continue to bring into our midst so that together we can be the body holy and presentable to God the Father for him to dwell within us, to be here in our midst. So would you continue to do your work in us personally, in us as your people? We ask in your strong name. Amen. Friends, as we respond in singing, our, our prayer team will also be at the back, Ali and uh, Gary and Sylvia. They'll have name tags on back there. You can respond with them in prayer. Let's stand together if you're able. And let's together, as one body, respond to our Father in singing.